Hi everybody, this is Larkin Owens and this is my first podcast, hopefully the first of many. Today I'm delighted to be joined by Corey Gilchuster. He's the Director of the International Programme in Conflict Resolution and Mediation at Tel Aviv University. I've known Corey for a while now. Uh, we've been chatting over and back. We have many shared interests. So I'll allow Corey to introduce himself. Maybe you could tell us about your background, Corey, and your work. Sure. Uh, okay, so I am uh, Corey, uh, Corey Gilschuster. I have I wear two hats in in this discussion. I, I work at uh, Tel Aviv University. I am the director of a master's in conflict resolution and mediation. I've been in that job for about six years now, maybe I'm going on seven soon. Um, I have a background. I have a master's in uh, conflict studies from University of Ottawa. As you can tell from my accent, I am not. Uh, I didn't grow up in Israel. I, I am Canadian. I, uh, I don't know how much more detail you want, but I grew up in Canada, moved to Israel uh, because I married an Israeli, an Israeli man, and uh, we've since been divorced. We have a child. Um, so that's that brings you up to date. Now, the other part of I should introduce is uh, I, for eight years now, have uh, been running a YouTube channel, just me, uh, where people send me questions to ask random Israelis and Palestinians about what they think of the conflict or uh, about their, each of their societies and cultures. And I run around in my spare time, it's not my job, uh, asking random people on the streets of Israel and Palestine to answer people's questions. Uh, sometimes I argue with them. Uh, sometimes I, I joke with them. Sometimes there's lots of different uh, reactions I have. Um, what I'm trying to do is understand the person who's asking the question and where they're coming from, more or less, and try to ask it as if they're, they're here to get more information about how deep beliefs are in a conflict. And that's what I do. And uh, when you say you run around, you run around like... Israel proper, the Palestinian territories. How, how did you, what motivated you to, to decide to do this? Was it just, did you take a hunch one day or was it something that was always on your mind? No, no there's, a good story. There's, there's a great story behind it. Um, I was, uh, I had just finished my thesis and moved back to Israel and I was unemployed. People arguing about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict who are not Israeli and they are not Palestinian. They are Americans and Irish people and uh, Brits and uh, people from Indian, India. Um, and they all seem to know everything about the conflict. And they would, no matter what I said, and so I, sometimes I would get involved, not because I, I actually don't like to argue online. I actually, I like to argue in person. I just don't like to argue online. But I, I noticed that people, at least about Israelis, I don't know about Palestinians, but Israelis, they really got it wrong. They didn't quite understand Israeli culture, Israeli society, there was always something a little off. Even if what their actual central point is was correct, there was always something off about it. And I would argue with them and say, well, I live here, and what I'm telling you is that's, no, sorry, your, your, your conclusion you're coming to is not exactly correct. Here's the reason. And then one woman who was Canadian, who had been in Israel, she'd lived in the West Bank for a couple of months, and she lived in Israel for five days at this point, um, argued with me, and and said, what are you gonna do? Go and ask people their, their opinion, do a Vox Populi on this. And it just hit me, I have a video camera. I speak to Israelis all the day. I'm bored, I have nothing to do. Why am I not going out there and just asking people, even with my cell phone, 
uh, to answer questions that people might have. And so I asked in the same forum, I said, look, I have this idea to do this. Uh, you give a question and I'll go out and ask people in like two to three minutes to try and give me a response. And what was interesting is that, you know, 30 people in this forum, not one of them asked a question and it took weeks and every, and I keep saying, can I turn that into a question? Can I turn that into a question? And nobody really wanted to, I don't know why. I'm not sure if it just was a, um, a function of not thinking in that way, or I thought it was just brilliant. I thought it's a brilliant idea and I don't understand why anybody, nobody's doing this. So finally said some, someone said something about the one state solution and I said, great, can I turn that into a question? And they said, sure, go for it. And uh, I went around my neighborhood and just asked random people who I don't, some I knew, some I don't know, uh, to answer the question. I put it together on, on a Mac, uh, which I didn't know how to use iMovie. And when I saw it all together, I thought, wow, this is powerful. This is really great way. This is a great way to get information. Uh, and there it was born. And how many years have you been doing it now? Uh, since 2012. Okay. Spring 2012. So it's been eight years exactly. Do you, I, I follow you online, so I know the extent of uh, the places you've been to. You've been to the West Bank, you've been mm -hmm. to Ramallah, you've been to the Golan, you've been everywhere. Um, yeah, yeah, I go everywhere within Israel. I haven't been to Eilat just because I haven't been to Eilat in like 30 years. And I can't get into Gaza. Yeah, At the beginning, crazy. I actually had some Gazans speak to me through Skype or okay. record their voices. But I couldn't, it hit me after a couple that I, I, I couldn't know if they were actually in Gaza. Okay. So they claimed to be in Gaza, I, but I, I couldn't know for sure. So I stopped doing it. And have you been able to contact, let's say, Palestinians in refugee camps outside of Israel, outside of Palestine? Or is no, that even possible? I've done that, and I don't even know how to do that because part of the, the uh, one of the rules is it's supposed to be random. So I'm wandering around in the West Bank and I'm walking up to people and, you know, every, well, actually, Palestinians are great about this. They usually say yes. It's Israelis who usually say no. I say it's on camera, it's on YouTube, and um, they agree to it. In, a, in a, a Palestinian refugee camp in Lebanon, for example, it w I'd have to go there. I'd have to go there to do it, and which I'd love to, absolutely love to, but I'm a little afraid to go to Lebanon. There's and do you sometimes make places. exceptions, let's say, where people might be forthcoming, they don't mind speaking, but maybe they don't want to allow their face to be shown? Do you allow? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I actually do it a lot less with Israeli Jews because um, I, I, I think because I live on the Jewish side of Israel, um, people who don't want to be filmed, it's more for vanity. On the Palestinian side, there's a bit of, uh, or I know it less, but from what I hear, there's a bit more danger uh, in two ways. Either their family could think that what they did was um, not right, uh, meaning mostly for women to be on film on YouTube. And also there's a fear that if they admit to something or say so the wrong thing, that the Israelis could pick them up at any point. Okay. Um, I, I don't think that there's, look, it technically could be true, but I, I, I'm also not a big uh, believer in that as well. But I understand they live in, in a state of fear, so I, I can understand that. So for those people, um, I will allow absolutely to either film, you know, the background, the road, or to um, uh, uh, blot out their face so that people can't okay. see who they are. Right. Uh, maybe you could tell us now about maybe the current situation in Israel. There's been a lot, I know politically, there's been a lot of upheaval the last year. I think you've had three elections. You were almost on the verge of a fourth one. So maybe no, you could we have tell a government. Us. Well, we think we have a government. 
So yes, so, we had yeah. um, Likud led by Benjamin Netanyahu, who's the current Prime Minister of Israel. And we had the Blue and White Party led by Benny Gantz and their supposedly adversaries. But now it seems that things have changed in the last weekend. If you could tell us about that. Yes, in two days ago, I think it was announced uh, two nights ago, that they came to an agreement. The agreement still needs to pass all sorts of hurdles. Don't ask me because this is sort of a new situation. They're doing a rotationary system, which has actually happened before. In the 80s, there was a, uh, a government which was between Likud and Labour. I keep hearing a lot of the uh, political uh, pundits talk about this is very problematic and everyone is talking about it from their own perspective. Um, I'm very much a wait and see person. But uh, what I can tell, at least from my perspective, um, is that Benny Gantz gave up on a lot of uh, the issues when it comes to Israeli democracy. And we'll have to see what the effects are in the future of that. So for example, um, Netanyahu has uh, um, the option to not allow for, there's a committee for choosing the attorney uh, judicial no nominations for the Supreme Court. And he put his people, more or less, on that, if I understood correctly, or people who agree with his worldview, which is pretty right-wing, and wants to clip the wings of the Supreme Court, which is one of the most, uh, well, for Israel, one, the Supreme Court, it really uh, upholds um, ideas of democracy and what is right and what is wrong. It won't deal with politics at all, for example, but it will deal with what is considered right and what is considered wrong. So or the entire right wing wants to put people who are supportive of their worldview on the Supreme Court or limit their powers. And this is, he, he got his way. And so, and then the other thing is they have a plan to July 1st to annex Area C of the West Bank. It's not clear if it's all Area C. It's not clear, um, although they have the votes in the, in the parliament to do it, um, we'll see if it actually happens. Um, but that's another thing. That's that's major. And Gantz was very much against both those things, and he gave in because he didn't want to go for a fourth election and continue to spend billions of shekels on another election. And he felt it was irresponsible. That part I understand of his, but he really gave in to a lot of issues that will impact our democracy for the next few years. On that issue of the annexation of the West Bank, uh, in terms of the supporters who voted for Benny Gantz as a vote for change and an alternative government, are they now up in arms or is there a sense of what is going to lie ahead, the ramifications of such a yeah. decision? Well, the people who voted for him specifically, it's a spectrum, uh, right? With any, when you vote for any political party, everyone votes for their own issue. Um, so there are some people who are definitely anti-Netanyahu, absolutely. Um, only 25% of the country actually voted for Netanyahu, technically. But in terms of his approval rating, actually, I should check that. I'm not sure. But I would guess it's at 50%, probably. Because um, in a lot of things, I'll give, I will give him, I can't stand the man, but I will give him, he is good at a lot of things. Um, he's been very calming, in, and he's dealt with this uh, COVID-19 crisis, I think, well. Although people say he's using it for his own political purposes, but yeah, could absolutely could be. But he took it very seriously, and he's seems to be dealing with it well. Um, so the people who uh, voted for blue and white, uh, and blue and white broke up because Gantz had to break up blue and white because not all his people agreed with going into the Netanyahu government. So eight of them did, I think it was, I can't remember the numbers, but only a certain amount of them did. And then the others 
are very much against are very much against it. So it depends why they voted blue and white to begin with. The people who tend to care most about democracy tend to vote left, which is a very very small minority now in Israel. Um, they vote labor. Some vote blue and white. Um, I voted blue and white, just so you know, uh, uh, at least one of the times. Yeah, one of the times because I just wanted to get rid of Netanyahu. It just he's been around for too long. These corruption allegations. I'm not comfortable with it, and he is, uh, it's all about his ego. Um, so, you know, I was one of those people, I didn't vote in the last election for him, I actually voted for the left. But um, it, the election before, I voted for him, for Gantz and Blue and White, because I thought, maybe we'll unseat Netanyahu. It depends why, it depends, each person is dealing with it in their own way. According to, I did see this, according to some, uh, uh, a poll, um, a lot of people who voted blue and white are actually supportive of, of what Gens did. So I can't remember the actual numbers, but it was uh, it was a, a a large proportion. So okay. And in terms of if if they manage to go ahead and annex Area C, what what is the percentage uh, in terms of the totality of the area of the West Bank? What percentage is Area C within that? Would it be significant? Portion? Area C is sixty percent. Right. Areas A and B are forty percent. So just in case people don't know, Palestinians have self-rule over Area A fully, um, mostly. I mean, there's there's a couple of exceptions in that, but doesn't matter. Area B uh, for everything other than security, and that actually applies to Area A because the Palestinian police don't want to deal with security issues. So they both allow um, silent. Um, they don't admit it, but they allow the the Israeli army to go into Area A. Plus, the Israeli army will go into Area A if it needs to, even if the Palestinian police didn't agree. Uh, area C is, uh, those are 60%, and those are the areas where um, most Palestinians do not live. So in Area C, which is 60% of the West Bank, only 5% of the people who live there are Palestinian, which that is, I think, 30,000, 40,000, I can't remember, I looked it up a while ago. Um, and Jews are about, uh, of Area C, 400,000 at this point. Yeah. Uh, so, so it's mainly Jewish areas. Uh, and I know there's, there's, so just to clarify, um, the Jewish areas only occupy um, technically, meaning in terms of land use, uh, the, the actual towns, villages, whatever you want to call them, settlements, uh, any industry which is Jewish run, that is 3% of all of the West Bank, just so you know. I mean, we're not talking about huge areas. It's 3% technically, but Israel has control over 60% of the West Bank, which includes lots of highways, and um, there's a lot of land in between Palestinian towns and Jewish settlements, which is underused or farming uh, for Palestinians. Um, I, I know you haven't been there, but that's when you when you're traveling on the West Bank. It's mostly it's a lot of empty space. I have, yeah, <laughs> I was in the West Bank. Okay. Yeah. So okay, but I, I know there's sort of this perception of um, very very crowded Palestinian cities and uh, lots of Jewish settlements absolutely everywhere. Now they're in this sort of Swiss cheese way, and that was on purpose to sort of break up Palestinian towns. It was a way of taking it over and having control over the land. So the Israelis would be able to have control over everything, um, which I didn't think was a good idea, but uh, yeah, that's what... That's and what does that spell an end so to the two-state solution? I mean, if you only have to look at the map of areas A, B, and C, yep. and you see it is, it's like a Swiss cheese, it's just... 
It is. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, of course. All uh, the politicians, anyone who believes in a two-state solution will absolutely say it's the end of the two-state solution. And then in five years or 10 years, you can do something else. So just as an example, Israel annexed the Golan Heights, and yet it went to peace talks with Syria at one point. So the Golan was annexed in 83, 84, I think it was. They went to peace talks with Syria in the 90s. Um, so anything's possible. I, I'm not one of these people. I, I don't like to say it's the end of the world. That's it. It's all coming to an end. Anything is always possible. The two-state solution is technically was possible. It's still possible. It will be possible. The question is, what concessions are people willing to make? Uh, both sides, Israelis and Palestinians. Mm -hmm. In terms of the, I mean, the big mistake for me is, is going to be once July 1st comes around, and if this actually happens, is first of all, the Palestinian rage over another move, a unilateral move by Israel, of course, that's going to create, this is going to create another, I don't know if it'll actually create an intifada, but it could spark a new, a new outbreak of, of violence, which could, who knows it'll, how long it'll last, we don't know. It may or may not, you don't know. And internationally, it makes, uh, it's not, I don't think it's good diplomatically for Israel. Israel just counting on the fact that Trump supports them and, you know, he, he'll be in charge at least till November, so that's why they want to do it. And people forget. After 10, 20 years, people will forget. That's, that's what they're hoping for. I, of course, don't agree with any of this. I think all this is um, selfish, actually. That's how I, 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 when I speak to Jewish, Jewish settlers and they ask my opinion, I, I always feel like it's, um, Israel is acting in a very selfish way. And I know, I, I even see their points about Palestinian uh, independence, and I see that it, I'm not sure if Palestinians could have a state necessarily, um, but this is definitely not helping. You mentioned earlier, kind of ties in with what you've just said, that the vote for the left wing in Israel has decimated in the past 20 years in particular. And why do you think that is? And how has it reached this point where Netanyahu can go ahead, move towards annexation, and he has supposedly a left wing party and they'll back him on that? How did it reach this point, do you think? Oh, it's, that's, that's obvious. You ask any Israeli, they'll tell you exactly the same thing. Uh, the Oslo Accords. It killed the idea of peace. Um, there were enough, uh, first of all, there, were, there was enough support, up to 60, even up to 70% for the Oslo Accords within Jewish Israelis. And when violence broke out in the 90s, from 94 to, to uh, and then the second intifada happened in 2000, but there were a lot of bus bombings before, 94, 96, 97, 98, there were a lot of bus bombings. It uh, which hadn't happened before. Um, terrorism was much lower scale before by Palestinians. The Israeli public said, why would we make peace with these people? We, if, this is from the Israeli perspective, and I, I absolutely see holes in this, and I can, I, you know, I, I could argue with them on this, but from their perspective, they were giving up a lot, and we were on a road to peace, and Palestinians dealt with it by saying, um, we don't want peace, we want the Jews in the sea. That's how they view it. And I know many, many, many people who used to vote left or even voted sort of right, but were right wing or center and were, um, but were marginally supportive of the idea. Um, and the second Intifada and the violence that came just before the second Intifada, um, it, it was a nail in the coffin. Again, if it happens and it's looking likely that it might happen, the practicalities of it, that will mean that Israeli law will officially be extended to these territories. They'll become Israeli citizens. They have been already, but Israeli law will be the law in these places. 
When you look at the map and you see how is that going to work in practice and you'll have these enclaves of Palestine within this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How, how is it going to work? Well, in a way, it's actually not a huge change. I mean, if you, if you travel around the West Bank in Area C, you would swear you're in Israel anyways. Um, the street signs are all in Hebrew and uh, English. Um, you have the uh, gas stations are all Israeli companies. You go into not a lot of um, um, towns with, let's say, malls and stores and stuff, but there are a few. And you go there, and all the a mall you would have in Tel Aviv or in Jerusalem or in uh, Rishon Zion, you would have the same stores in a mall in the West Bank, exactly the same, same cafes, the same stores. And so, in a sense, I don't think it's going to change all that much. It gives the right wing this idea that this is now officially ours, we've settled this, and we can do, we can develop more. Um, I think legally that you'd have to speak to an inter, or a law expert in Israel. I would assume it would allow people to more easily buy land or expropriate land. There is some expropriation in the West Bank. I know you've heard, but a lot of it was actually bought. So it would give the government or, or people who work with the government to create new, new settlements, new uh, communities and new uses for land. I assume it would also, um, this is something probably the Supreme Court, if they didn't do, the Supreme Court would say you had to do, you would have to extend uh, Israeli citizenship to those 30,000 or 40,000 who, who live there. You would have to. Because one thing I'll say about the court system or the legal system in Israel is that once there is a law, it is extended to everybody equally. Now, there's other ways that racism is used. Absolutely, we can go on that if you want. But in terms of legal protections or legal status, Arab villages in Israel, they're protected by the law the same way that a Jewish place is, in the same ways, and by the same standards. Um, other things that could come up, I'm trying to think of anything else that would... I, oh, and then you, sorry, the other part, yes. Uh, so then within that, you have these huge splotches of Palestinian-run areas. How do they get from area to area? within Israel. There won't be a contiguous territory for the Palestinians. There is not a contiguous territory for Palestinians. Correct. Unless they come up with some sort of, that's why I said, if they annex all of Area C, then there's, you know, compromises, sort of like the Trump plan of creating, you know, taking parts of that and and giving it to the Palestinians in other ways. So maybe, who knows? I mean, this is a a process, which who knows if it's actually going to happen, because there's always been this threat it's closer than it's ever been not everything that happens or every here you hear a declaration about something it doesn't mean it's going to happen so we got to wait and see and if it does happen then and you've already alluded to it the reputational damage perhaps towards it on israel from an international perspective diplomatic human rights perspectives how do you think that would play out in the months ahead if this happens i don't know um, I actually, my view is, and this is actually, I mean, not my view, what I want to happen. I mean, my view of what I think would happen is the world doesn't really care. It's a little bit sad and I feel really bad for Palestinians in this sense. Um, the world doesn't really care about them that much anymore. Uh, the Arab world definitely doesn't care about them. The left wing cares about them a little bit in Europe, but I think, I, I, I don't think there's going to be a huge reaction uh, in the long run. There's a lot of countries that will support Israel because I don't think they care that much about the Palestinians. It's not so much that they care that much about Israel, it's just they care less about the Palestinians. So, and, and people have, they're mostly under Corona and um, the situation and the resulting economic crisis it's gonna create. I don't know if they're gonna care that much. So I, I feel, I always, that's always comes back to, 
I feel bad for Palestinian friends that they just constantly get screwed by this. I, I'm not sure if anyone's really going to care other than, you know, some people in your country who are on the left who are going to make lots of statements and it's not going to amount to much. Uh, because when you look at it, I mean, Israel does have a very strong economy. Um, it has a high, uh, um, it has a great high tech sector and it sells uh, a lot of its product and its ideas outside. And I think when it comes down to it, places like Saudi Arabia or France are, they care more about their economies and buying from Israel or trading information with Israel than they do about the Palestinians. And it, it actually hurts me to say that, I think, but I think that's, that's a sad truth about our world. And you said that, that even the Arab world, it was the first place area you mentioned actually that they don't yep. care about them. And yep. 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 How, what has given you that opinion? Um, is that a recent opinion that it's emerged or is it based on recent trends? Um, from, I remember somebody, and I, I, I don't know where this is, but there was a survey in the Arab world about the top issues. And in the, you know, obviously the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, even 90s, Palestine was the issue. And in the last 15, 20 years, most, most people in the Arab world, according to surveys, do not put Palestine in the top five. That's what I remember hearing. I can't remember where, where, where I read this. And I remember it being mentioned a couple of times. Also, just as this is an aside, and this is my own, you know, from, from my experience, my, my project on, on YouTube, the, in the top 10 countries are all the Gulf countries who watch. So if I take, sorry, if I take the number of views and I divide it by the population of each country, the top, the Gulf countries are very high in watching the videos. And almost all the questions I get from Gulf countries, Saudi Arabia, not Kuwait, Saudi Arabia, Qatar, United Arab Emirates, um, all of those, Oman, all those countries are something asking Israelis questions and they're not very pro-Palestinian. And if they ask a Palestinian question, it's usually a very uh, loaded question about how wrong they are. Do you think a lot of that is curiosity because they don't have the opportunity to visit Israel, they don't have the opportunity to meet Israelis unless... Yeah, yeah, yes. But I notice that if I look at those same statistics, West Bank, Palestinians are actually number 16 or 17 in the list. They don't watch their own videos about them, which I think is interesting, which is actually very good for me because I don't want them to know who I am when I come ask them questions. I want them to just answer thinking, oh, who's this idiot with a camera? I, I, but that is something that's that's interesting. Just and my, at a official my, level, do you think there has been movement maybe on a clandestine level towards Israel? We all hear about Saudi Arabia and yeah. the UAE in particular. Oman is open enough about reaching out yeah. to Israel, but they have a shared enemy with Iran. Do you think that yeah. this is the trajectory that lies ahead? Yeah, and I, yeah, yeah, I absolutely do. And, and I know that secret of, that everybody knows in all these places that uh, the Gulf countries in Israel are dealing a lot with you. First, they always did, and so did Iran, and so did all these countries, and so do Palestinians, by the way. I mean, you go into any Palestinian store in the West Bank and half their products are Israeli, and they will claim, and I've had this, uh, two with a camera that they don't sell Israeli products, and you look over their shoulder, there's Hebrew writing, and I don't point it out because I know I'm going to get my translator in, in trouble, but there's a lot of hypocrisy, and there's a lot of, I think, in the Gulf world, there is, um, you know, there's a lot of more money and wealth and education and they're tired of conflict. And I understand that. I mean, I, I, if I were them, I would probably be quite similar. They're, they want to live a better life. All these countries want to uh, live a better life. And Israel's part of the West in that sense. So they're dealing with it. Mm-hmm. I wish Israel wasn't, yeah, I mean, my own personal opinion is 
the Palestinians absolutely deserve some form of independence and, and as much as possible. So I don't think this is great for Palestinians, but I, I think for, I, I just think that's the, the situation. Israel's going to get away with this. Do you think it might cause a shift in opinion among Palestinians themselves, both within Arab Israelis who might be pro-Palestinian or on a quietly so, the ones in the West Bank, the ones scattered all over the world, in Lebanon, in Jordan, and wherever. What's going to happen? Is there going to have to be a shift in opinion if this, if other people keep dictating their future or their destiny, like Donald Trump, like Netanyahu, without consultation? Is there going to have to be a shift there? No, there's no shift because it's been that way since 1910. Uh, There's no difference. I mean, nobody's ever really consulted with them. You know, there's no difference and there's not, there probably isn't going to be difference, sadly, actually. I mean, that would, you know, as conflict resolution person, that's the first thing you do is you consult and you talk and you, you, you come up with problem solving ideas. They know, I mean, you speak to Palestinians, they know they were screwed over by the Ottomans and they're screwed over by the British and they're screwed over by, by the Israelis and by the Americans. And they, they know this, this is, this, everybody knows this. I don't think that's going to have a, a, a big effect. What they would need to do is have, I th- my hope is, and this is just me, is that they would have different leadership who would look at reality and say, okay, we lost the Palestine before you know, 1947, it's gone. What do we do now? How can we have the best lives possible, some form of independence? What can we do about that for all, so for the betterment of all Palestinians, and I mean really for the betterment of people, not for, this is my opinion, not for the idea of Palestine and going back in time, and that's how I view it. But um, I, I wish they would have leaders, and they do. There's a, there's a few quiet people who work either behind the scenes or are not very vocal about it. And you speak to a lot of Palestinians, and they will agree with this. They, they want those people who really look out for their common good. Just unfortunately, there aren't many leaders who are like that at the moment for Palestinians. Do you see a country like Jordan, which has always took the Palestinian cause, and we have a king in Jordan who's open to the West, moderate opinions. We have new leadership now in Lebanon as well, and Lebanon is shifting towards a new dynamic now that their economy is in tatters, and there's a movement for change there as well. How do you see the ramifications of such a decision? Will it cause a change in mindset amongst your immediate neighbours? I don't know. It's hard to say. I mean, because they're all, in a sense, the issue of the Middle East, right? It's very tribal. Each tribe is trying to hold on to their power of their tribe. So Jordan, and it's a Hashemite kingdom of Jordan. And even though they're, they're a minority in their own country, they're both good to the Palestinians, but only to a point. Because if not, then the Palestinians might take over because this is the Middle East and people can't think in the good of all as they have to think about the good of their group, which is sad. I I wish, I mean, that's one great thing about Western um, uh, democracies is the idea of citizenship and rights and everyone being equal. Who knows? Anything can happen. This is the Middle East. Every couple of years, there's a new little mini shock of people who are very stable suddenly falling and things that you thought were in unstable, not stable, uh, being fine. You never know. You never know how how things are going to go down. Um, No idea. No idea.